So uh, now joining me, it's usually Kyla Lee in this spot, but she has uh, some other obligations here today. So joining me now is Acumen Laws, Paul Doroshenko. Paul, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm very well, Jeff. It's so nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a while. I'm uh, did, glad did, to have did you, you know, on. Did you know it's Say Something Nice Day? Oh, it is? Um, well, I, I will tell you that I just flipped uh, your Ackerman Law calendar over to the month of June, and you and Kyla are looking fantastic in those pride colors, so there you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it here. Now, uh, distracted driving, of course, is, is something that Kyla and I often talk about, and, you know, there was a new decision here talking about uh, keeping your cell phone in your lap while driving amounts to distracted driving, and in this particular case that we're talking about, it relates back to uh, a situation in March of last year where a man uh, in the greater Victoria area uh, was caught looking down while driving, and an officer stopped him, approached the vehicle, and spotted the man's phone on his right lap connected to a charging but it was underneath, right? It was pinned between his thigh and the seat. And this is now considered distracted driving, correct? Well, yeah. And the interesting thing is, I mean, we had this previous decision that came out of Victoria. Uh, this one is from February, and it was uh, a judicial justice. And in that circumstance, the person had the phone sitting either on their lap or beside them on their seat, connected to their car. Uh, and in that case, the judicial justice looked at it and said, well, that's not holding, because holding really implies that you've, you're, you know, you've, you've either got it in your hand or you're, you're doing some act to hold it. Um, and then we have this decision that just came from last week, and of course this is a, a BC Supreme Court decision, so it's a much more, you know, this is, this is the, the authority in the end. And in this case, the individual had the phone pinned underneath their leg, something I used to do all the time back when we had car to go here, mm -hmm. pinned underneath his leg as he was driving. Uh, and, the, um, and the justice in this case came to the conclusion, well, that is holding it. You know, that is the, the really falls under the definition of a person holding their phone. Was that a, a surprise ruling for you? Were you sh like a little bit taken aback when you when you saw that ruling? Because it's like you said, it's not holding your phone. And that's really what we're talking about. Well, the funny thing is, of course, Kyla Lee argues so many of these decisions in uh, in B.C. Provincial Court and also argues the appeals, and she and I have been arguing about this for the longest time. Uh, and I disagreed with the earlier decision where it was on the lap uh, or beside them in the seat, although I, you know, I don't think the legislation is that clear with respect to beside them on the seat. I think this case really does clarify it because this is now the law. Uh, if you've got it in your cup holder... That's acceptable. You know, you're not using it. If you've got it in a mount and you're not using it by, like, looking at it or something like that, that's also acceptable. But pinned underneath your leg, uh, you know, what are you doing? You're holding it there. You're holding it on, on against your seat, using your leg to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I think if you're holding it in your lap, you know, you're holding it. Well, and I think personally, when I, I, I don't want to admit to doing something like this, but, you know, I've seen people driving around with their phone on their lap, and, you know, it seems like you might have it in a secure place, and then, but then, you know, you have to hit the brakes really quickly, and then all of a sudden your phone ends up on the ground, and then you're fishing around with it, or trying to find it with your hand while you're trying to watch the road. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong if, if you're putting yourself in this situation. Yeah, and I mean, the issue is really, like, the intent of the legislation, I think most of us know uh, it's whether or not it's it's described in a manner that actually, you know, meets real life circumstances. And I think you know the intention of the government to say hold uh, included that included that hold in your lap. And so I, I think this is actually probably uh, more consistent with what most people would think would be common sense. Uh, 
uh, and it's a you know it's a reasonable interpretation of the legislation. It is much greater clarity in the law than the previous version, where it was you know the the uh, JJP in the in the previous case said, well you know I'm not sure if it was on the seat beside this person or on their lap, but in either case I would conclude that that doesn't uh, constitute holding. I don't think most people would agree with that. I mean it's it's certainly not the intention of the legislation and really uh, the idea here is to protect us from people using the device and to discourage us from using the device so, so this makes more sense to me yeah so with that you know making more sense to you what i guess is the advice then that you would give to people when they're driving is it essentially just you know don't have your phone anywhere near you and if you have to have it near you put it in the cup holder well i mean here's the issue uh now we're saying don't hold it. Can you hold it in your pocket? Can you hold it in your shirt pocket? Uh, that's where the ambiguity now lies. Uh, I would say, you know, if you've got it in your cup holder uh, and you're not using it, of course, it's, it's acceptable. We, we know that now. If you've got it in a mount, and again, you're not looking at the screen, uh, then that's acceptable because, of course, we have using and holding. Uh, but don't have it on your person, I think, unless you've got it in a pocket. Uh, and that's probably, you know, a pocket can be a problem, too. If it's in your pants pocket, I don't think anybody's going to take any issue with it because you can't readily uh, access it. If you've got it in your shirt pocket, you may be in a situation where you have to testify about how you weren't holding it. Uh, right. And you don't want to find yourself in that situation of getting that ticket in the first place because it's a big hit. It's four demerits. There's driver risk premium. Your insurance goes up and you can get a driving prohibition from it. So, you know, I, I would discourage the shirt pocket. Uh, I would yeah. encourage the pant pocket uh, or a, a proper mount. And I imagine when you're trying to defend some of these cases, it's really a lot of he said, she said, and, and maybe not the most easy thing to try to, to prove, right, where, where someone was necessarily holding a device. Well, yeah, there's almost always a conflict between what the police officer says and what the individual says. The police officers conduct hundreds of these investigations. Some officers take photographs. They just walk up and take a picture uh, of people. But when there's a dispute about where it is uh, and, the, uh, and the justice has to resolve that dispute, that comes down to a, a credibility contest. And um, for the most part, I would tell you the sense you get from the court is that they would prefer not to have that credibility contest. They prefer to accept everybody's evidence and then say this is what uh, this is what the law is that applies and that seems to be that earlier decision that's the way it was resolved um, this new case is a uh, you know the judge makes a finding of fact that the fellow had it pinned underneath his leg uh, and that in, in this circumstance you know constituted holding and and it's but there's always an issue of you know what happened Mm -hmm. It's a forensic analysis, right, that takes place right there in court. And it's tough for, for any, any person who's hearing that, any uh, judge or a justice, uh, to make those determinations, uh, you know, assessing credibility. All right. I think that's about all I had on that here right now, Paul. But I did want to ask a little bit about what is going on in the United States. I'll just ask you first and foremost as a person. I mean, when you're looking at these uh, scenes that are happening south of the border, I'm not really personally overly surprised by the reaction that is now really unfolding in the waves that we're seeing across the United States in terms of the protests, in terms of the riots. Um, you know, I was a little bit taken aback when I first saw the stuff that was happening out of Minnesota. 
Um, but as this kind of whole thing has played out, I'm, I'm not really shocked because it seems like this was something that had been mounting for probably decades here and it's finally happening. Um, so I just wanted to get first your just thoughts on this whole thing as a human being when you're watching this. You know, are, are you are you shocked at some of the images that you're seeing or are you maybe of the line that, you know, this is something that has been a long time coming? Well, I, you know, I, I never feel that this method of getting your your voice heard is necessarily the appropriate or correct message. But like, it's we're talking 130 years after the U.S. Civil War. Um, if you're in the states and you travel down there a lot, you you get the sense fairly clearly in a lot of areas that uh, you know African American people, black people, are still in the service industry jobs. Uh, you're being served by them. Uh, it's uh, it, it's basically uh, two different classes there. Uh, I don't think that's the attitude of a lot of people, but it's still uh, an ongoing situation. And then when you see these, um, you know, black men being killed by police officers, uh, treated completely different by police officers, uh, it's completely understandable. 130 years, I'm sorry, like this is a, enough time has gone by uh, that at this point it should be fair. And it's just not. You don't see black people in, in management positions. You don't see them, uh, many, as heads of corporations. It's just not representative uh, for the percentage of the population. So is the anger uh, there? Uh, yes. Is it justified? Yes. Um, when you see someone uh, murdered after you know calling out, uh, having somebody's knee on his neck and him calling out saying, I can't breathe, you know, numerous times and, and then dying from asphyxiation. Should you be angry? Yes. And can you blame people for being angry? Absolutely not. Uh, of course, then we get to the next step, which is, you know, people go out and protest in the streets and, and they're doing it in a pandemic. So they're standing shoulder to shoulder. Um, the African-American community has certainly suffered more from COVID-19. That's been borne out by statistics already. Uh, and then you're out there <clears throat> putting yourself at risk of COVID-19 while you're protesting. And of course, then there's always some people who take it too far. Uh, you know, when we see a police station, um, you know, lit on fire, uh, and people will die in the protests, you know, people will die in the protests. It's already happened. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's very upsetting to watch. I, I travel to the U.S. probably two or three times a year, mostly for conferences. Um, and, um, you know, you, you get to you get to love the cities and love the 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 uh, locations and and care for the people and you can imagine the stress that they're going under and and that this is happening every day uh, and you know there, there's agitators out there it's clear that there's some people who are um, you know not part of the uh, the protest against the 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 death of this individual uh, they're just out there to be jerks and that's unfortunate. Well, okay, that, that actually is a nice way to segue into my question here in regards to the legal ramifications here for a lot of these people who are participating in these protests and really the riots, right? And you're someone who, who defended several people in regards to the 2011 Vancouver riot that we saw after the Stanley Cup final when uh, the Canucks lost to the Bruins, and we all are well aware, I think, of, of what happened in the city of Vancouver that day. What, what can you take from that and from your experience with what happened in Vancouver to try to you know, anticipate what might happen to some of these people here uh, who are taking place in these riots across the United States. Um, you know, it's pretty 
evident, I think, from what you were speaking to me earlier about before we jumped on the phone here, that uh, you know most people are probably going to get hit with some kind of charges in relation to this. Well, that's the thing. I, I mean, I'm on social media. I'm looking at it on Twitter, and I, I, you can see that there's video of people running out of stores carrying stuff. Uh, we didn't have that 25 years ago. There wasn't video like this. So riots that took place prior to that time, there wasn't that kind of evidence. But when it came to the Stanley Cup riots, there was tons and tons and tons of video. And the police were able to identify those individuals. It's amazing. You know, there's always some police officers who just recognize somebody. The police are looking at it themselves. And some police officers are really, really good at recognizing somebody. I pulled that guy over for speeding a month ago, and they remember them. Uh, and that will happen. You know, police will be in, in all those different jurisdictions will be going over for the longest time uh, investigating who committed what criminal offenses. Uh, and you've seen they've already arrested someone uh, with respect to an attempt to, to light the historic Nashville courthouse on fire. Uh, and he wasn't an African-American guy. He appears to have been a uh, um, sort of a, a young skinhead type. Uh, and uh, he's already been arrested. And we will see arrests going on for the longest time. And I will tell you, the one thing that, that uh, our courts in Canada, courts in the United States, courts in, in um, the UK uh, take very seriously is people who participate in riots. And in the Stanley Cup riots, it wasn't a political riot, so it might be a little bit, uh, little bit different view on it, but almost everybody who was charged ended up serving a jail sentence. I think there was only one acquittal because they have video, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, all but uh, one case that I recall just off the top of my head, people got a, sort of a minimum, uh, even good kids with no criminal records ended up with a criminal record for participating in a riot uh, and got, you know, sort of the starting point was 90 days in jail. So one can imagine in the U.S. context where jail, you can typically, you know, when we see it on TV, you can, you can triple the time that you would serve in Canada, mm -hmm. uh, that a lot of people are going to be going to jail for a long, long time <clears throat> for participating in these riots. And, you know, you're, you, what, what are they doing? They're running yeah. into a store and carrying out three, uh, uh, three sweatshirts, <laughs> um, you know, uh, and now they're going to go to jail. And yeah. it's, it's, it's terrible. Uh, there's been lots of really good study, uh, social science research on group behavior and how people behave in these circumstances. Uh, there's always some people who are out there, you know, generally that's, they're just out there to, to do harm. Uh, and they view this as their opportunity to do harm. I think it's a little bit different right now in the COVID-19 world because it seems people have sort of come to the conclusion that they might be forgiven a little bit more. Uh, and I think that's the, the, the thing that we're seeing with so much speeding right now. So there's lots of people are getting caught for excessive speed. You can read about it. It's all over the world. Uh, it's, you know, you hear about it in the UK and, uh, and the US. And of course, we've had our notable cases here in British Columbia. And it's people seem to think that, well, they'll just be forgiven because it's COVID-19. Right. Uh, and I suspect that that's playing in to what's going on at the States, which is adding to why we have this night after night after night. Well, Paul, uh, unfortunately, we are out of time here. We didn't even get to our issue with the whole uh, New Brunswick doctor, and, and we wanted to talk more about that. So maybe we can find some time later in the week to uh, revisit that chat. But uh, really appreciate you taking the time, stepping in for Kyla. And uh, yeah, like I said, maybe we'll, we'll find some time here soon to uh, go over a few topics that we didn't have a chance to get to here. It's my pleasure. Have a very good day. You as well. That's yeah. Acumen Law's Paul Doroshenko. And uh, yeah, some real good stuff there. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate you taking the time.